We share this morning from Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What's the next phrase? What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Do you consider prayer a privilege? I hope you do. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 5. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege to be here, to be able to worship you together, to come into your presence now as we open your word. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us, uh, show us, Lord, what it means to pray. Thank you for that privilege, Lord, and I pray that we would never take that for granted, but that we would have a vibrant, living relationship with you where prayer is, is as natural as breathing. Facing every circumstance, every challenge, every joy, every sorrow in a spirit of, of prayer. Lord, teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a certain cotton factory, and on the walls of that factory was this statement If your threads get tangled, send for the foreman. One day a new worker got her threads tangled and she tried to disentangle them herself but only made matters worse and finally she called for the foreman. So he came and looked and he said to her, you've been doing this yourself, haven't you? And she said, yes. He said, but why did you not send for me according to the instructions? And she said, well, I did my best. And he said, no, you did not. Remember that doing your best is sending for me. Doing your best is sending for me. Have you ever heard someone say, when facing a difficult situation, that all I could do was pray? And I usually have a response to that. I ask the question, all you could do is pray? I mean, as, as if that's just, you know, 
a last resort thing, you know, I've tried everything else, I've done everything in my own power and strength, and finally, oh, well, I guess all I can do is to pray. Do you believe that the best thing you could do is to pray? Do you believe that prayer is the last resort, or is prayer the first response? I would say that for many of us at times, prayer is kind of the last resort. You know, if all else fails, pray. And yet it needs to be the first response. And we need to walk and live and breathe in a spirit of prayer as we face every situation in life. In the first few verses of this chapter, we have the Lord's Prayer where Jesus reminds us of the privilege that we have to have that relationship with God through Jesus and to be able to call Him our Father and bring our needs to Him daily, such as our daily bread and forgiveness of our sins and help against temptation and so forth. And as we come then to verse 5, Jesus tells a story. And in this story, he illustrates to us how we are to bring our needs to the Lord in prayer. And I would suggest to you that there are three lessons we learn. First of all, we need to pray unashamedly. We need to pray unashamedly. The story that Jesus told might be one that's, would we say, a little difficult for us to picture in our culture of this man who gets a visitor at midnight and he comes knocking on the neighbor's door and asks for three loaves of bread. To us, it might seem a little bit uh, strange. Who among us has absolutely nothing to feed someone when a visitor comes? I mean, are your cupboards completely empty that if someone were to come by unexpectedly, you would have nothing? Wouldn't you be able to at least feed them some uh, eggs and toast which is my specialty, along with uh, pizza and hot dogs. I mean, you've got something in the cupboard, don't you, to feed someone? Besides that, who would go to their neighbor at midnight? Can you picture knocking on the door, ringing the doorbell at midnight and saying, you know, I, I'm, you know I'm, I'm frying some, or I'm baking something, and I need this, I need that. It just seems a little strange to think of, of someone coming at midnight when... Most people would be sleeping at that time. And furthermore, what friend of ours would show up at the door at midnight and need something to eat? So to us, it just seems a little bit weird to even imagine this happening. But in the culture in which Jesus tells this story, it really wouldn't have been that strange, I would suggest. For one thing, during the hot time of the year, people traveled, usually later in the day, perhaps into the evening and maybe into the nighttime to avoid the heat. So it wouldn't be so strange in that culture for them to come pretty late. And they wouldn't be able to send you a text, an email, a phone call, a voicemail saying, by the way, I'm going to be a little late tonight, you know, so plan, leave the light on, you know, I'll be there kind of late now, that obviously couldn't happen. There weren't any stores in those days, and, and people had to fix their food daily. There weren't all these preservatives, you know, so it wasn't unusual to have nothing in the house to eat at the end of the day. And then the next day you made food for, for that day. And hospitality. 
was such an important part of that culture that if someone came to your house and needed something to eat, it would be deeply frowned upon if you didn't feed them, regardless of the time. Warren Wiersbe says, if a person refused to entertain a guest, he brought disgrace on the whole village and the neighbors would have nothing to do with them. The man in the house knew this and did not want to embarrass himself, his family, or his village. So he got up and he met the need of his unexpected visitor. So in that culture, as Jesus tells this story, this man had a desperate need and he took action. He was willing to go to the next door neighbor at midnight, knock on the door, and ask for three loaves of bread. So the lesson here is that the man who didn't have anything to feed his friend was not ashamed to admit his need. Even if it meant knocking on the neighbor's door at midnight. Now, If you look at verse 8, you find this statement. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, notice that word, persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. You know what that word literally means? Shamelessness. Because of his shamelessness, he's willing to knock on the door at midnight and present his need to his neighbor. Here was a friend who was not ashamed to admit his need, even if it meant knocking on his neighbor's door at midnight. Start thinking about that. And we have some examples of unashamed to admit need in Scripture. Remember when Jacob was going back to, be, to meet his brother Esau? Twenty years had gone by, and now he's realizing, oh, that's right, he wanted to kill me when I left home. And then there's this group of people coming with Esau, 400 men, which was in those days the size of a militia. And so Jacob is even more concerned. So he wrestles. Remember, he wrestles with the Lord that night. And do you remember what he said to the Lord? He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unashamed to admit his need. I cannot face Esau, my brother, unless you go with me, God. Unashamedly presenting his prayer. How about Bartimaeus? Remember blind Bartimaeus? He was along the roadside crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he was told to be quiet. Shh. It says that he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Here was a man who had a need, and he was not ashamed to admit his need. Are you ashamed to admit your need? Are you ashamed to say, you know, brothers pray for me, sisters pray for me? Coming unashamedly to Jesus and saying, Lord, I need you today. I need your forgiveness. I need your presence. I need your help in my life. That's what Jesus teaches us here. Pray unashamedly. And then secondly, pray persistently. 
When a person is not ashamed to admit their need, there is usually a persistency in prayer. And so after Jesus tells this story, He applies it to His disciples. Look at verse 9. So, okay, here's the story. So, I say to you, very familiar verses, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. These words ask and seek and knock are all written in the present tense. And so we could translate it this way. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. In other words, when we pray, we don't give up if the answer doesn't come right away. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Do you give up if God doesn't answer in ten minutes? Or a week? Or a month? Or a year? I just visited with a lady a couple weeks ago up in Cloquet when we were there for Tim Coronan's funeral. She said when she came to know the Lord, she immediately began praying for her husband. You know how long she prayed? Nineteen years. Nineteen years. And he came to Jesus, and I remember the night because he would come to church somewhat regularly, but he would never go to communion because he knew he didn't belong there. He didn't know the Lord. And that night that he got saved... He was up at that table with his wife, tears running down his face. Jesus Christ had changed his life, but she prayed for him 19 years. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And she did. She kept praying. There also seems to be, at least William Hendrickson makes this comment, an increasing intensity with each of these words, ask and seek and knock. He said, asking implies humility and a consciousness of need. Seeking is asking plus acting. In other words, you don't just you know, pray and then do, do nothing. And then he says, knocking is asking plus acting plus persevering. He said, one knocks again and again until the door is opened. And as I was thinking about it this morning, it reminded me of a silly cartoon. Remember um, the Flintstones? You've got to be old enough probably to remember the Flintstones. But Barney, Barney Rubble and Fred Flintstone, and I can picture Fred beating on the door, yelling, Wilma! I mean, he was persistent. He kept knocking until that door opened. We keep knocking. There is a persistency to our prayers. We don't give up. And maybe this is more of a challenge in our culture today. Because we are used to things happening quickly, aren't we? You get on your computer and you're trying to download a page, and if it takes more than a few seconds, you're just thinking, oh, what is wrong with this computer? What is wrong with the Internet? Now, why is it so slow? I mean, we live in a culture where answers are like that, right? And so maybe we struggle more with the whole concept of, of having to wait. Having to wait. And sometimes when it comes to prayer, there's a waiting time. We don't give up. 
keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And Jesus encourages us then in verse 10. He says, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. So this kind of brings a question to our minds, doesn't it? Does this mean that Jesus is going to give us everything we ask for as long as we are persistent? How many of you would say no? No. We need to pray within the will of God, don't we? We need to pray with the right motives in our prayer. James 4.3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasure. So sometimes the reason why our prayers are not answered is because we are asking for something that God doesn't want us to have. Something that is not good for us. Or our motives are wrong. But John reminds us that I love this passage, 1 John chapter 5, that when we pray within the will of God, here's what God's Word says. 1 John 5, verse 14, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. So the question we need to ask ourselves today is, why don't we ask? Why don't we ask? And trust that God knows best. Sometimes He says yes. Sometimes He says no. Doesn't mean He didn't answer. Sometimes He says no for good reason. Sometimes He says wait. Not yet. But good to know that God does hear. So we pray unashamedly. We pray persistently. And then thirdly, we can pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. So what can we expect from God if we come to Him in prayer? If you look at verses 11 and 12, Jesus tells us that we can expect from Him what is good. He says, suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. Are you going to give your son a snake instead? How many of you fathers, if, you, if your son asked for a fish, you'd give him a snake? Good. Glad none of you raised your hand. We had a visit after church. Or if he is asked for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? What's the obvious answer? No. A father would not do that. A father that loves his children would not do that. We don't give our children a snake or a scorpion when they ask for a fish or an egg because we love them. And we know that that would not be good for them. And if this is how we as human fathers, even though we are sinful, will give good gifts to our children, how much more? How much more can we expect our Heavenly Father to give good gifts to us. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus repeats this in a little different way, but pretty similar. 
Matthew 7, 9, he says, What man is there among you when his son asks for a loaf? Will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? This is what we would call an argument from the lesser to the greater. If an earthly father gives what is good to his children, how much more would we expect that from our perfect, loving, heavenly Father? Jesus goes even further in this text. In verse 13, He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give? What might you expect Him to say? Good gifts? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. I love John MacArthur's commentary on this. He says, to those who ask for a gift, He gives the giver. To those who ask for an effect, He gives the cause. To those who ask for a product, He gives the source. To those seeking comfort, He gives the comforter. To those seeking power, He gives the source of power. To those seeking help, He gives the helper. To those seeking truth, He gives the spirit of truth. To those seeking love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, He gives the producer of those things. The indwelling Holy Spirit is the source of every good thing in the Christian's life. So what greater gift could Jesus give us than His Spirit? Who dwells within us? Who empowers us? Who teaches us? Who helps us? Who comforts us? Jesus said, I will give you another comforter, an encourager, who will be with you forever. What a wonderful gift. His Spirit that He gives to those who know Him. So how's your prayer life today? I think all of us would probably say, you know what? That's an area I could grow in. And we are challenged then to pray unashamedly, admitting our need. We're not self-made people. We need to pray persistently, asking, seeking, knocking. And we can pray expectantly that God will give us that which is good. I remember early in our married life when we were bought our first house and living in Mankato and didn't have a lot of extra money and the furnace went out. And I thought, how are we going to pay for this? And I just didn't want to call my dad, but it was just at the point we just couldn't afford it. And, and I kind of sheepishly mentioned that to my dad. And he said, he said, what's mine is yours. I'll never forget that. What's mine is yours. Think of it. All that our Heavenly Father owns is ours. Belongs to Him. We are, what? Heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus. And when we pray, we come to a Father who says, what's mine is yours. He will give us our daily bread. He will provide for our needs. 
time that we ask. Say, Lord, help me today. Meet my need today. Give me strength today. Give me courage today. Provide for my daily bread today. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that You are a great and awesome God. And You invite us to come to You. You invite us to pray. It was Your disciples who said, Lord, teach us to pray. And You taught them what it means to pray. You gave them that model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. But You modeled prayer as well because... There were many times that you went off by yourself to commune with your Father. And Lord, show us the importance of prayer. Someone has said that the church moves forward on its knees. And Lord, may that be true of our church, of every ministry, that we would move forward not in human strength, human wisdom, human power, human resources, but relying, Lord, upon Your infinite, wonderful provisions for us, we pray. And may Jesus receive all the glory for what You accomplish in our lives, for we pray in His name. Amen.